This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit like and subscribe, whatever you're listening on. I'm Michael Iles, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zone, Brian King and Leroy Thompson. Penn State Collegiate All-Star Kevin Adams, Ball State Athlete Paul Havocott. We're joined tonight by a special guest um, from who's a 1989 NFL first-round draft pick by the Pittsburgh Steelers, running back out of Georgia, where he was a first-team All-American. He was the SEC or yeah, SEC Offensive Player of the Year in 2007. He was inducted into the Georgia Bulldogs Hall of Fame. So we got running back Tim Worley. Tim, thank you for joining us. Hey, man, appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on. Awesome. As always, we're going to have a Q&A for Tim after our <laughs> debate tonight. And tonight's debate is going to be the greatest Georgia Bulldogs running back of the last 40 years. And if you're familiar with Georgia's history, they are stacked in this category. Absolutely stacked. Honorable mentions tonight. Listen to this. The guys that just missed our list. Rodney Hampton, Noshaw Marino, Sony Michelle. Three solid running backs, but they 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 just missed our list tonight. So we're going to start out tonight with Kevin and Todd Gurley. Yeah, Gurley was the running back for three years for Georgia. First uh, all First team all SEC honors. Um, selected 10th overall in the uh, 2015 draft. Uh, but as a freshman, he was definitely an immediate impact uh, to Georgia's backfield. They finished that season 12-2. and two. I'd say he was a, a big reason why. Uh, he rushed for 100 yards on eight carries and two TDs in his very first game as a true freshman. He also had a 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown in that game. The next game, he ran for 111 yards on 10 carries. That's over 10 yards a carry. Uh, the following week, he went for 130 yards. Um, he rushed for pretty much over 100 yards almost every single game that season uh, in his freshman year. Uh, he is the second true freshman in Georgia history to rush for 1,000 yards. The only other true freshman prior to that was Herschel Walker, uh, who did that in 1980. His 17 TDs in that season tied him for third in a single season uh, for most touchdowns uh, in, a, in school history. Um, he finished second in the SEC in rushing yards only trailing uh, Johnny Manziel uh, that year, which is pretty impressive, <laughs> a quarterback. Um, he was named to the All-SEC uh, first team that year, like I had mentioned. Uh, he was one of two true freshman running backs to accomplish that in 2012. Uh, his sophomore season in 2013, he made the second all uh, second team All-SEC. In 2014, he rushed for 208 yards against Tennessee, which was the highest single game total since 1992 for Georgia. Uh, Garrison Hurst was the one that had the next highest. I think it was like 248 yards. Uh, this this season, he also ended up getting suspended, unfortunately, uh, in his uh, junior year for four games. And then when he came back, he tore his ACL. Um, but he still finished that season with 911 rushing yards, nine touchdowns in just six games. Unbelievable, almost a 1,000 yards in just six games. He finished his Georgia career with 3,285 yards, which ranks him second, uh, and 36 rushing touchdowns, which is tied for second in school history at the time of when he left Georgia. Um, he averaged 6.4 yards rushing per game. He only had three fumbles over those three seasons, losing two. And 247sports.com listed him number three all-time for Georgia. Uh, no one we're talking about today was higher than him on that list. So, Tim, with Todd, he had speed, he was an agility runner, and he had some nasty stiff arms. What What are your thoughts on, on Todd Gurley's style? 
Well, Todd Guller, his style was was my type. That was my style. That was the old wrecking ball Georgia tailback style. I mean, he was big. He was fast. He was powerful. Um, and he loved the contact. And uh, that's the style of running backs Georgia always had. I mean, when you look at Herschel Walker, Herschel punished people. And when I watched Todd Gurley run the ball, he uh, he really punished people. You really had to bring your lunch with you in order to uh, tackle Todd Gurley. And, um, you know, he deserves it. I think he was one of the best running backs in – I mean, he's in the top three, definitely in the top three uh, in Georgia history. And, um, you know, it's unfortunately that, you know, he had some uh, hiccups in between. But um, he's that guy. He was that guy, and uh, I think he was a great back. And he's another guy that uh, his NFL career stalled out right there around the age of 30, and it just happens so often. These guys take a pounding, and, and the bodies break down. But uh, let's move on to Nick Chubb. Yeah, I'm going to do Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb's been terrorizing my Steelers at least twice a year, and I think this year he finished third uh, behind Derrick Henry and Josh Jacobs. But that's NFL – and uh, we'll concentrate on Georgia. And we might need you here, Mike, because I think Kevin's spitting some lies, so we'll have you judge this. But uh, with Georgia, he played four years. I think the best college running back should play all four years. But with Georgia, he played 47 games, totaling 4,769 rushing yards, 44 TDs, averaged 6.3 yards per carry. Season average per game was just over 100 at 101.5. And throughout the course of his college career, he had four receiving touchdowns and just over 360 yards, five receptions for 59 yards versus Florida in 2014, and then 206 versus Louisiana, and he had a receiving TD of 49 yards. So I suppose if you add those receiving yards, which may seem insignificant, he gave Georgia a total of over 5,000 yards of total offense. Exciting player to watch. I perused his college highlight reel. He had a 266-yard rushing game against number 20 Louisville in 2014. Kevin, what's up? You said yours was the highest. Mike, please arbitrate. In 2005, he had uh, two games in which he included rushes of 83 yards, the last uh, versus number 13 Alabama in 2015. He had a three TD game against Southern in 2015. For his career, he had 23 100-yard rushing games, three 200-yard rushing games, his total rushing yards trails only Herschel Walker in both UGA and Southeastern Conference lists of all-time uh, me, career leaders. That number also ranks 39th among all rushers in the history of college football. He recorded his 24th career game with 100 yards or more, rushing with 145, including two touchdowns against Oklahoma, and ran for 150 yards versus Kentucky, reaching 1,000 yards on the season for the third time in his career on his final carry of the day, which was a 55-yard TD dash. I mean, the only other Bulldog to do that besides Herschel Walker. Twice earned SEC Offensive Player of the Year of the Week honors. And I heard Tim Worley say about yours, Kevin, he's top three. So I'll translate that for you. He is not the number one. Nick Chubb is probably the number one, plus you had an error in your stats, it looks like. So, Tim, Chubb is uh, a runner that uses cutback lanes. He's considered a a one-cut runner. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on him and the style that he can play? He's a very good receiver as well. Um, Nick Chubb was a complete ball player. Um, not only could he run the ball, he could block, he could catch. Um, the thing I love about Nick Chubb, he was consistent. He was consistent every game. You knew for a fact that every game he went out there on the field and played, Chubb was going to get you 100 yards plus. 
And um, he was unbelievable breaking tackles, great balance. Um, and you got to look at Chubb. Look at the injury that was looked like a career-ending injury against Tennessee back in the day. And um, he came back from that where nobody thought he would be able to come back. I didn't even think he would come back. But it was uh, it was a miracle. It happened. And it seemed like to me he got even stronger. And if you look at this kid right now, as he gets older and more mature in years in the NFL, it's like he's getting better. You know what I mean? And um, he is um, – he's just that guy, man, like Todd Gurley. And, and, and I got to say, you know, Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley – you know, in that era, you know, I got to They're my top three, my top five, you know. So I'll give you guys my number one when we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to Garrison Hurst. All right. Um, I, uh, I, when I had the opportunity to, to, to represent or talk about Garrison Hurst, I was, uh, I was pretty excited because, you know, being, being my age and all, uh, that's one of the first running backs I really got a chance to watch, you know, NFL wise too. And um, to see what he did at Georgia was just, just really, really impressive. And that's why I, I think he's the best, best Georgia running back since, since the great Herschel Walker. Um, he played three great years. And in those years, his, uh, his uh, um, accumulated yardage increased from 717 his first year, 717 yards his first year, his second year, he was just short of a grand with 968, and his third year in 1992 with an ungodly 1547, 1,547 yards. That's when I believe uh, in 92 is when Garrison Hurst really got on the map. Um, he was the SEC Player of the Year, and as everyone knows, the SEC is the varsity of the NCAA's. Um, all all the other players in the other leagues, it's like you know junior varsity. So he was the Player of the Year. He was a consensus All American. Um, he won the Doak Walker, and for those that that aren't aren't familiar with that, the Doak Walker is the top nation's running back. Um, he, he was uh, he was he's voted into the Florida Georgia Hall of Fame, and then in '93, um, he he was the Citrus Bowl MVP '93. Um, he went on to have a highly decorated uh, NFL career too. Um, again, that's where I was more familiar with where. I know more about the NFL than I do the the, the college stats. Um, I know he went on to uh, be a comeback player of the year in 2001 after missing two years with an injury and coming back stronger than ever when people thought he would be finished. And to me, that shows a lot of uh, a lot of heart, and that shows uh, you know what someone's made of it, if they're able to come back from that. He had great years with uh, the Cardinals, the 49ers. And for those that, that don't know me, I'm a Seahawks fan, so that you know that doesn't translate well for me. But um, he was he was very he was very fun to watch growing up. Um, and yeah, that's what I have on Garrison Hurst, who I believe was the best running back since Herschel Walker for the Dogs. Tim, so with Hurst, uh, fearless running style. However, this guy might be the biggest trash talker we're talking about tonight. He wasn't <laughs> afraid to throw it out there. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, is it just something they do to get fired up? And what are your thoughts on on Garrison Hurst? I think Garrison was amazing. Um, Garrison, uh, right away, Garrison's always been in my top five. Um, I think uh, to display the the kind of talent he did when when Georgia really wasn't that good, um, when Garrison was a freshman and when he was a sophomore, I think it started to turn it around, like he said, in 92. I think Ray Goff was the coach then, but 
Garrison was consistent. You know, he was that guy. He carried the load, and uh, he proved himself every Saturday, man. And so um, he was just a tremendous runner. You know, he knew how to run the ball. He knew how to set up his blocks. I mean, he could turn the corner and change gears on you in a minute. And uh, he was just a complete football player. So Garrison also, he's in my top five. So we're going to move on to our final running back. It's going to be Lars Tate. Oh. All right. Lars Tate right, yeah. stood at six foot two, a little tall for a back. Uh, he weighed in at uh, 215 pounds. Uh, after playing his senior season at high school at a high school in uh, Indianapolis, he was named Gatorade's National High School Offensive Player of the Year for 1983. Uh, Tate joined the uh, Georgia Bulldogs backfield in 1984, uh, immediately began to make an impact. He found the end zone three times in his freshman season uh, and gained 425 yards from scrimmage. Uh, during his sophomore year, Tate was part of a crowded backfield, which saw Five backs uh, all get more than 90 touches, uh, including some guy named Tim Worley. Uh, Tate stood out with a 6.0 average and, and uh, three scores that year. In 1986, uh, Tate took it to the next level. He led all Bulldog rushers with 1168 yards from scrimmage and scored 17 touchdowns. That was tops in the SEC. Uh, 1987 was another great season for Tate. He again reached over 1,100 yards from scrimmage, uh, scored 14 times, uh, which was second most in the SEC, and helped the Bulldogs to a number 13 AP ranking. It was the school's first top 25 ranking uh, in the previous four seasons. In all, Tate rushed for uh, 3,017 yards, which is still sixth most in, uh, high, in uh, school history. Only Herschel <laughs> Walker and Nick Chubb had more carries than him. So, you know, he could carry the load. Uh, Tate went on to be uh, drafted by the Buccaneers in, in the NFL, but suffered a career-ending neck injury in just his third season. So, sadly, we will never know, uh, you know how he could have achieved at the pro level. But in Athens, his running style, uh, it was once described by his former teammate, Kim Stevens, as fast and smooth. Uh, Stevens also said that Tate was highly motivated and super talented. Uh, I would also add that he had some great balance. Uh, while in Tampa, he once scored a touchdown on a 40-plus yard run after like a crazy flip over the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, check that video out. Maybe Michael could put that video on here. Uh, but tragically, uh, Lars Tate, you know, he fell to cancer uh, a couple years back. He's no longer with us, but he was one heck of a Georgia Bulldog back. Shortest NFL career of the guys we're talking about tonight, as Brian <laughs> said, the neck injury. Tim, I, I want to ask you um, – you were quoted as saying uh, after he had passed that UGA fans, that's the University of Georgia, of course, fans, uh, Facebook family, my heart is deeply saddened and the human side of me is devastated. So so what what did this guy mean to you? Lars Jamel Tate, um, he meant the world to me, man. And sometimes I still get emotional because I can't, you know, you can't, it's hard to believe that he's gone. He was he was one of my best friends. He was one of those guys that I immediately took to um, when I reported to George as a freshman in 85. Um, Lars was that guy. He, he was a starting tailback. Uh, him and a guy named Cleveland Gary, uh, talked to him a couple of days ago that ended up transferring to Miami. But Lars Tate, man, when I first met him on a visit, an you know, unofficial visit to uh, Georgia, uh, I actually thought he was a linebacker. He was that big, you know what I mean? And uh, I was like, wow. But just a good-looking guy, very impressive, very intelligent. He was a student of the game. He was big. He was fast. 
and he loved the game and he was physical. And, you know, he was one of my best friends, man. So when he passed away uh, last August, um, it, I was devastated because, you know, sometimes, you know, as an athlete, you, you, you go through those times, and I think athletes understand what I'm saying, where you feel invincible. And Lars Tate was one of those guys, you just don't die that way. You know what I mean? And uh, he was he was one of my best friends. You know, we, we got a chance to communicate, talk about a lot of stuff, talk about Jesus a lot. But he loved the game of football. He loved the University of Georgia. And Lars was also a great baseball player. And I don't know if you guys know this, but his son, Donovan Tate, uh, was a first-round pick for the San Diego Padres back in the day. So, uh Lost State, man, he is truly missed. I love him. I love his family. And um, what a wonderful teammate. What a wonderful guy. He ha he made me better, you know, because we split time at Georgia. He made me a better running back. So we're going to move into our vote. But before we do that, I just want to say that research has shown and the facts show that Kevin is much like a politician and making stuff up tonight. Paul was correct. So What, what did I make up? You made up a single game rushing of, of Todd Gurley. It's probably going to cost you. At the time of when he did it, it was the record. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, actually, that's not accurate. Gurley is the uh, – well, no, Chubb would have been after. Your yes, race, Chubb was right. after him. Chubb so took over when my guy got injured. So, Paul, uh, yeah, again, you're trying to accuse me of lying. Since yeah. 92. Right, right. Okay, so – but there, there, there was also uh, one other one too. But I digress – you people can take that for what it's worth. We could take let's, all day and talk about let, 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 Let's move into our vote. Cannot pick your own tonight, guys. Paul, I know who you're not voting for, but who are you voting for? Well, I mean, a simple Google search is, you know, when you talk about the best running backs, it's Herschel Walker. Then it says Nick Chubb for career stats. If you added his, his receiving, he's over 5,000 yards. Then it's Sony Michelle. So who took Sony Michelle? I uh, know when he was the honorable mention. So. Then it goes Todd Gurley. He's way down on the list. I can't vote for him because Kevin did such a poor job on that argument. Uh, I guess I'll go Garrison Hurst. He'd be number five on the list. <laughs> okay. we You realize we're picking the best tonight, but all right. Uh, Kevin, go ahead. As much as I hate to do this, mm -hmm. even though my guy averaged more yards per carry and Chubb wouldn't have gotten as many yards yeah, if my guy didn't go down. He only, he only played three years. But I'm gonna go. Years. I'm gonna go with Chubb, even though Paul annoys the crap out of me. Right. <laughs> 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 wow, this is something. Um, I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to go with Nick Chubb. Yeah, because you're smart. It's just, yeah. just, just, the, just the best overall. I think, just the most polished back. I think. I mean, he could, in, in the way he was able to, you know, receiving and rushing. I, I just think he's just one heck of a back. Leroy, um, I, I, I was impressed with all three arguments. Um, but I, I would have to go with Gurley. Gurley was the most uh, impressive to me, and to have the the record at the time of uh, being in school was impressive to me. To have the all time, all time Georgia record. Before Chuck so, did, so <clears throat> yeah. So um, I'm gonna go and um, I think there's something that you guys might not have factored in today, and that is the teams that they played on. Gurley was on a team that you know was national championship caliber. So is Nick Chubb. Um, Hurst, Georgia's teams, they were good. They weren't national championship contenders. And Tate, I mean, he was on some decent teams, but they weren't the powerhouse that Georgia would become. 
So I think Tate actually had the hardest route. He didn't have the O-lines that some of these other guys had. So I'm taking Tate. Tim, we come to you. Who's your number okay. one? My number one? Man, I got to go with number 38, Tim Worley. Hey, considering I only played two four years at Georgia, man. But, nah, but uh, listen, man, I, I – you know, I played with Lars. Uh, I played with Rodney Hampton. And really, when you want to separate, I mean, you got to really look at the style of running. And it ain't always much. It ain't always the numbers that you put up. Because I played with these guys, man. And uh, But uh, times were different back in the 80s and 90s compared to what it is in, now. And uh, But, you know, overall, outside of Herschel Walker, I mean, I love Gurley. I love Sony Michelle, Rodney Hampton, Tate, all those cats. Even uh, no Sean Marino. But uh, I got to put Nick Chubb up there, man. I got to put Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb was a workhorse. He stayed four years. I mean, he came back with a horrifying injury, and he just got better and better and better. And he's even proven it more with the Cleveland Browns right now. So, um, but, yeah, man, Nick Chubb would be my guy outside of Herschel. Nick Chubb would be my next number one guy. And for those tonight who are saying, why no Herschel Walker? This was the last 40 years. Walker was done in 82. So that's a win for Paul tonight. So our question order will be Paul, Leroy, Kevin, Brian. Yeah, it's really, it makes me emotional because all the hard work I put into this research to make it accurate. I, it's, I really appreciate Tim acknowledging that. I feel like today has been a success because of this. So I just wanted to take a brief self-serving moment. Thank you, Tim. My question yes, for you is, who's more uh, competitive, you or D? Me or who? D. Wife. D, my ex-wife? Yeah. A lot of people don't know, but she was <laughs> an Olympic uh, gymnast. So I figured well, you guys were really competitive with each other. We were. I think she might have been more competitive because she actually – Man, she she knew football just as much as just as just as more than I did, and um, um, she was definitely a great athlete and she loved sports. But uh, she was very competitive. She could do some things that just amazed me. But um, what impressed me about Dee' competitive nature was when it came to football. Dude, she knew. She just knew, and she you know it was you know when we were married. She couldn't just sit and watch a game with me. She had to go in the closet and listen to uh, what was the announcer for the rope for the for the Crimson Tide. I forget his name, um, but anyway, and uh, she was very competitive, man. So she might have me a little bit. <laughs> uh, my question to you is: What is your favorite run of all time, either in the college or the pros? Um, I would I would have to say. Um, now, I'm, I'm going to ride with the fans right now as far as the Georgia Bulldog fans. Um, probably the 89-yard touchdown run that I get, get, did against Florida my freshman year when Florida was number one. Um, <laughs> that, yeah, that was uh, – some said it was 89, some said it was 90, but it was just it was just one of those moments, man, where it was just supernatural, you know, Florida's ranked number one, and I think we're still the only team to beat a number one school that year. Um, and I just caught the ball, man, on a, a pitch to the white right and saw that hole, and I planted that foot and got downhill. And there's no way, 
not even on a motorcycle where you're going to catch. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think I think that was one of my most remember, memorable runs. Uh, but me personally, uh, yes, sir. this one's probably not on video, but I had a run in 1988, my junior run, Red Shot Junior year against uh, William and Mary. And it was a homecoming game, right? And uh, <laughs> it's funny. I caught a sweep to the left. It's about a 62 about 62 yards away from the end zone. Yes, sir. Keith Henderson kicked out the corner. I planted my foot, went down here, free safety stepped in the gap. It was me and him. I lowered <laughs> my shoulder and I lifted him up, carried him with me for about five <laughs> yards. I dropped him off, stayed in stride, and scored a 62-yard touchdown. <laughs> and here's the here's the kicker, guys. Nice. That guy. I found out that that guy went into the locker room at halftime, took off his uniform, put it in the locker, called a cab, got a cab to the airport in Atlanta, flew back to Virginia and quit. He made a rage <laughs> quit. Listen, 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 they got to take it up. And it's true because I played with one of his teammates, Robert Green, a running back out of Women Mary for Chicago. And then this past August, I asked Mike Tomlin, head coach for the Steelers, because he played at Women Mary. I right, said, was well, yeah. it true about what happened to the DB that I hit? He said, yep, it's all true, Tim. So <laughs> That's wild. That was funny, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. But, yeah. So, Tim, I want to take you uh, back to 89 uh, when you got drafted. Um, how were you feeling on draft night? And was there a team that you were hoping was you were going to go with? And how did you feel about the Steelers taking you at number seven? Well, I mean, I felt pretty good. Um, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, the teams, they, they, they watch you, they investigate you, they do all these things. You know, they want to they wanna see what they're investing their money into, right? And so I was hearing this, hearing that. I was hearing, yeah, you're going to be a San Diego Charger. I was hearing you're going to be a Falcon. You're going to be a Packer. Uh, you're going to be this and that. But what people don't know is, you know, a month before that, uh, maybe a couple of months, you know, back then, redshirt juniors, Barry Sanders and I were the only two redshirt juniors. And uh, the rest of the guys were seniors. So we couldn't go to the combine. And so um, all 28 teams came and worked me out one day in Athens. And uh, they clocked me. They only wanted to see me run to 40, do the vertical and take my weight. And, uh, you know, I was six two and a half, two thirty, 230, around 438 and 40. Uh, I, I had a vertical of 32 and a half inches, 38 and a half inches, I'm sorry. And I bench pressed 225 28 times. And so they said that's enough. And here's here's the thing, guys. Barry Sanders hadn't declared himself eligible for the draft yet. And so I had a long talk with the Detroit Lions after my workout, right? And they oh, wow. told me what they were looking for. They said Barry Sanders is the perfect fit for them, but he hasn't declared himself eligible yet. And they said if he doesn't, and I'm still around with the third pick, they were going to pick me. And I was saying to myself, Please don't pick me, man. I don't know. <laughs> no disrespect to the Detroit Lions, but I was like, no. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, and then all of a sudden, Barry declared himself the next week for the draft eligible. And so San Diego was interested. Packers was interested. Atlanta was interested. And then the Steelers jumped on board heavily, heavily. So I found out the night before I got drafted that the Steelers were going to take me in the seventh with the seventh pick. Nice, so nice. it was, yeah, it was out in Beverly Hills, California, in the Beverly Palm Hotel, where Eddie Murphy 
you know, uh, <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop. So it was amazing. It was just an awesome day. Nice. Well, well, Tim, as a lifelong Steelers fan, the 1989 season is one of my all-time favorites. Um, after yeah. just a miserable start, uh, losing 51 yeah. nothing to the Browns and then 41-10 <laughs> to the Bengals, you guys were able to turn it around, make the playoffs, and then upset Warren Moon and the Oilers in the Astrodome. Uh, so how were you guys able to get things going in the right direction? And do you feel like there was a defining moment which kind of brought about change for that team? Well, I think I think one of the defining moments, and I got to give credit where credit is due, I played with some tremendous guys on the field, great guys off the field. Um, and I had I had an unbelievable coach. Chuck Noll, man, was probably – he's one of the better ones and got – may he rest in peace. But, you know, Chuck personally, he handpicked me. He drafted me. And one of the things Chuck told me when I had to sit down and talk with him, he said he didn't draft me because of my speed, my size, and all my running ability. He drafted me because of my blocking ability. You know, I was a pretty good block. I could have played fullback. And if you guys remember the Steelers, we ran the trapping offense. And, right. you know, you, you're, 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 you're in a three-point stand and you're split back. And me, 6'2 and a half, 230, running a 4'3, line me eight yards deep and pitch me the ball and get out of my way. Okay? And so <laughs> I struggled. I struggled a little bit coming into Pittsburgh trying to slow myself down to, to, to all the trapping. And that was more for, like, like Merle Hodge. He was a perfect fit. For the trap, you know, one of my one of my better teammates. But Chuck Noll, he believed in us. He told us not to panic, no matter what the media, no matter what the people said. And all of a sudden, man, after that after that Cincinnati game, we began to turn things around, and we played the Minnesota Vikings that that third week of the '89 uh, season. And guys, I scored my first NFL touchdown on my birthday against the Minnesota Vikings, and it was history from there. And we just turning around, man, and we started pounding people. I kind of got my groove going, and I kind of uh, picked up on me you know, because I was in training. I missed training camp. I was in training camp for four days, you know, and so I had to catch up with everything. So um, that was an awesome year. You're right, brother. Same order, guys. One more each. Damn, I was. I liked Kevin's question. So it sounded like you were happy to to be drafted by the Steelers based on some of the competitors. But over the course of the years, the coaches there have changed. And I wondered, how do you feel about where the Steelers are sitting now? And in the, in the NFL currently, what are some of the ways it's changed over the years that you don't necessarily like? Well, you know, when we go back to the 89 season, number one, guys, y'all need to understand the Steelers has always been my favorite team since I was nine years old. So growing up here in North Carolina, it was either the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Redskins, or the original Baltimore Colts. Nobody liked the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> they were the dirty birds before they were the dirty birds. But anyway, uh, but God bless them. But uh, they were always my favorite team. And Mean Joe Green was always my mother's favorite football player. So she got a chance to meet him in 89. But uh, um, um, I think, um, you know, the difference in the game uh, compared to what it was back then, um, you know, I played in Three River. Um, I, I went to uh, – I don't even know the name of the field right now. It's not Heinz anymore, but I went there me, – me and my son, we went there for the first time this year, you know, to the Jets game and to uh, actually training camp up in the Trobe. And, uh, but uh, one, of the, one of the most impressive things about the Steelers and their organization and their leadership, owners and everything, you've had only three head coaches within 50, what, 53 years, yeah. you know? 
That's unbelievable, man. Chuck Noll, Bill Cower, Mike Tomlin, you know, since 1969. And it doesn't get any better than that. And I believe that the Steelers is one of the best organizations, one of the best franchises in the NFL because, guys, they still treat me just like I'm an active player. I get invited to so much stuff. I get to to be involved with so many things. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it was great to be a Steeler. And you guys might not believe this, man, but Steelers, my two favorite teams ever since I was a kid, number one was the Steelers, number two was the Bears, and I played for both teams. So I tell kids, man, dreams come true. Dreams come true. That's cool. That's cool. Unless you're Kevin. First, first off, I think that's awesome. You got to play for for your two favorite teams growing up. That is that is cool. As a as a Seahawks fan, I grew up. Um, you know, I'd, I'd always dreamed of playing for. You know, it'd be one thing to play in the NFL, but to play for your favorite team that is just mm-hmm. that is just awesome. Um, my 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 next question is, you know, you talked about. King Henry, Derrick Henry earlier. Who who do you think you know are the top running backs in the game today, and and who do you think is going to make a surprise and maybe pop into that you know top top two or three this next season, sir? Well, Derrick Henry is. I like Derrick Henry because he's big and he's fast, and you know I was one of those big t- six two two thirty guys running a four 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 three and four thirty eight is vertical and a thirty eight yeah. inch. That's impressive. Yeah, That's you know. impressive. Yes, sir. Yeah, you know, coming out of high school, I had a 41-inch vertical in high school. And after I blew my knee out at Georgia, you know, it kind of decreased a little bit. But I love the big, fast guys, you know, like the Herschel Walkers, the Bo Jackson. Derrick Henry just remind me of that time. And even um, even um, Najee Harris, you know, Najee, I, I, got, I had a chance to meet him um, this past summer in training camp. Just an outstanding guy. Forget about his talent on the field. He's just an outstanding guy, man. And we had a conversation because he was hurt during training camp. Um, and then there's a couple more guys that I've been paying attention to, man. I can't think of them right off the bat. But, uh, you know, they kind of give you that feel of how it used to be, even though the game has changed tremendously. And yeah, those are the type of guys. Huh? Yeah, old school, man. Old school. Those yes, are sir. the type of guys, man, that uh, you, you – listen, you better bring a lunch with you coming to tackle those guys. <laughs> I'm serious, yeah. man. If you see yes, the sir. legs on Najee Harris, dude, I'm telling you, man, it's crazy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. So who was uh who was your opponent on, on the defensive line that you just absolutely did not want to run up against? Like who who was the big defenders uh when you played okay. for in the NFL that you were just like, man. I don't want to face off against him. Okay, D-line or linebackers or just D-line? Uh, do do uh, one uh, D-line and, and two linebackers. Do like okay. uh, two of each. All right, D-line, um, I had to say Reggie White. <laughs> um, and uh, what's my man, John? Uh, what's my man you split for the Vikings? John. Uh, Abraham? No. Uh, John Randall. Randall, oh my goodness, this dude was nonstop running his mouth, you know, but he backed it up. (laughs) Let me tell you guys a story. You know, I missed all the training camp. If you guys paid attention back back to 89, um, I missed all the training camp. I was in training camp four days. And so we had a preseason game against against the Philadelphia Eagles, and Reggie White was playing, right? 
So I think it was the fourth or the fifth uh, preseason game. Chuck Noll, you know, he said, you need to get in there and make mistakes. You know, we paying you this money. You got to get in there, right? I went in there, man, and I looked across the line, brother, and guess who was just staring at me, man? It was Reggie White. <laughs> and I was like, the dude stood six, six and a half, right? And I walked up to him. I said, how you doing, Mr. White? He said, you know how Reggie talked? He said, how you doing, Worley? He said, I heard you just got out the camp. I said, yes, sir, Mr. White. He said, welcome to the NFL. I said, yes, sir, Mr. White. Take it easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of funny, man. But uh, Reggie White was one of those guys on the D-line. Now, when it comes to linebackers, there's so many of them. You had you had, you had had the Lawrence Taylors. You had the uh, Mike Singletary's. You had a, 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 a very underrated linebacker play for the Eagles was Byron Evans. That dude was a beast. Every time he hits you, it hurt. You know what I mean? And then I think one of the most fierce, dominant, most powerful, hardest-hitting linebackers that I faced off, I never played against him. He was on my team, and we went at it in practice, and that was Greg Lloyd. Oh, Greg Lloyd yeah. was unbelievable, man. You know? The dude was mean, and he's one of my good friends today. <laughs> well, Now, when, you, when it comes to DBs, when it comes to DBs, you always had to look for Ronnie Lott. You always had to you had to pay attention to where Atwater was. You had to pay attention to where Dennis Smith was. You know, guys like that, man. And um, Gene Atkins, you had to pay attention to where those guys were because they would take your head off, man. <laughs> but, Tim, the University of Georgia has a rich history tradition. Uh, they've also, you know, obviously had a lot of recent success. Uh, what was it like for you back in the 80s to run onto that field in Athens and, and battle the SEC opponents for a few hours there between the hedges on Saturdays? And, and what is that Bulldog uh, fan base like? Well, I, I believe the Georgia fan base is the best in the world, uh, especially when we travel. Um, they're, they are the best, man. And um, if you guys ever played a game before, I mean, I don't know if you guys ever been in front of a crowd like that, but when you're playing in front of 100,000 people, 90,000-plus fans, and you hear that sound, you hear them rooting your name, you hear that roar, that roar, you can't replace that. You can't replace that. There's no high like that. And so that's why it was so hard for me when it was all said and done for me to make that transition to a normal lifestyle. Because, you know, what are you doing? I, I remember a guy named Tim. Um, I forget this guy's name. He played for the Falcons, went to Syracuse. Tim, I forget his name. He played outside linebacker, defensive man. He had a book called What Do You Do When the Cheering Stops? You know? And when the cheering stopped for me, man, I was completely lost. I was completely lost. It took me a decade and a half just to make that transition into a normal lifestyle. Because for me, you know, I was sheltered since age 10. You know, I, I competed all around the country at, at 10 years old. And all of a sudden, 30 years old, it all comes to a halt. You know, not by not by just me wanting to give it up, but by default, you know what I mean? I made some bad choices as an, as an athlete, you know, during my career that uh, – you know, I regret it for a long time, but I was able to forgive myself and move on with it. So we'll get you out of here with this tonight. Uh, Brian had mentioned the the 89 season, and you guys go into that making the wild card. You knock off the Houston Oilers with a Gary Anderson field goal there pretty late. Um, then you, you go into Mile High Stadium against the Denver Broncos. You guys have a lead with seven minutes left in the game. 
what 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 is your thought? What's the team's thoughts? I mean, Elway was already kind of notorious at this point for his game-winning drives. Were you expecting them to make it 71 yards? And then, you know, maybe just go over for me, like, what happened in that last drive when you guys did get the ball back with 227 left and, and uh, you know, sadly ended with the, 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 the fumble on the bad snap there? Right. Well, um, I believe that we, we, um, we had the game. If you watched that entire game, we kicked Denver's butt up and down the field. The entire game until until about maybe four or five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I remember uh, when after Denver scored, we were down by one point, and I was just thinking Gary Anderson, Gary Anderson, because Gary was so consistent, he don't miss, right? And so I can remember there was a minute and three seconds on the clock, and I think Bubby fumbled the snap. He was in the shotgun and he fumbled the snap, and I think Murrow tried to pick it up and he kicked it. And then one of the Denver players uh, fell on it. But, you know, we were moving into a position where Gary could have kicked a 45-plus-yard field goal, and we would have won that game and went on to play, I think, I want to say Cleveland. It was, yeah, uh, Cleveland. For the, yep. for the AFC Championship and probably would have went and played the 49ers in the Super Bowl. But you know what? It just wasn't meant to be that year. But, you know, but it gave us something to, to bank off of coming into the 90 season because – like you said, man, we started out horrible in 1989, the first two two or three games, and then we completely turned it around, man, and went to the playoff. Nobody believed it. And uh, to be honest, we kicked, we kicked Denver's butt until the three minutes left in, in, in the game. We kicked their butt the whole game. Yeah, that's unfortunately the way football goes sometimes, man. It's crazy. Yeah. But uh, I, I want to thank you, Tim, for joining us. Thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Anytime, man. Awesome. Anytime, Brian. All right. Awesome. I want to remind everybody, hit that like and subscribe button. Thank you for watching. We'll see you all next time. Have a great night.